Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay, and I thank you so much for tuning in today to this episode. There are so many podcasts out there, and for you to take the time to choose this one, to listen to this one, to support this Great Day Podcast, it means so much to me. So I thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, comment. Your support goes a long, long way. Thank you very much, and I do hope you enjoy this podcast with Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is lead behavioral investigator at Science of People. She's a best-selling author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. Her book has been translated into 15 different languages. Vanessa shares tangible skills to improve, to improve interpersonal communication and leadership, including her insights on how people work. She developed a science-based framework for understanding different personalities to improve our EQ and help us communicate with colleagues, clients, and customers. Vanessa works with entrepreneurs, growing businesses, and trillion-dollar companies, and has been featured on CNN, BBC, Entrepreneur Magazine, The Today Show, and many more. Today's podcast, we delve into some fun ways to connect with people, where the best place to situate yourself in a social setting, and tips on how to be the most captivating person you can be. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. All right, Vanessa, Vanessa, it's good to have you on the Great Day Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. It's good to see you and hear from you. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, wonderful. Well, I um, there's so many angles to, to, uh, to attack this from, and I mean, I... Anybody who comes and Googles you and searches for you, there's you, you did a fantastic job in general with your social media. When I was deep diving into who you are as a person and going, YouTube is one of my go-to places, of course. Uh, you have the catchiest thumbnails and, and oh. titles. I'm like, what? Oh, information overload. Fantastic. Oh I'm, I'm, so, I'm so honored because when, when I think about content, like I have two words. I say it either has to be inspirational or insightful. So it's so either one. And so I'm honored that it sucked you in. We got you into our content. We hopefully, you know, made you feel a little better, gave you a little bit of insight, a little bit of inspiration. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Totally. Totally. You did such a great job. And uh, to, to like segue into like what, who you are, what you do and you go by and you collect, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the lead investigator at, at her, at human behavior, at, at a human behavior research lab. Uh, called the science of people, which is something that you've started. And I'm curious to know what, what, in, how do you get the title of lead investigator? What an incredible for, for human behavior. What does that even mean? Yes. So I started the company 14 years ago, if you can believe it. Wow. And um, I was researching at the time human behavior. And I, one of my favorite things to do was all these researchers at academic universities were doing fascinating research on communication, relationships, and behavior, but no one was talking about it. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to take all this amazing research and I'm going to try to you know, put it out in the world. So I started a little blog. I thought, let's see if anyone else is interested in this behavior. And after the first two or three years, we started getting some traction. But I realized that the articles that I did a little bit of extra research on, like if I tried the tip myself and then shared a funny story or an inspirational story about how it worked, it did a lot better. So one of our first big ones was on this concept of being an ambivert. Have you ever heard I've of that I've never term? heard that terminology before, no. 
Okay. So I hadn't either, but you know, in, in school, sometimes you take those personality tests where they tell you, oh, you're an extrovert or you're an introvert. Yes. Hey, did you ever yes. take one of those? Okay. Yeah, what, yeah. Are you an extrovert, right? You're an extrovert. Uh, I am an extrovert though. I, I yes, I, I, I uh, perhaps, but, yes, but. Okay. I, I heard you were like, well, I'm, I'm an extrovert. So you're like me. I took that test and I was like, I guess I'm an extrovert, but it never felt like it was right. So these researchers found that extroversion is actually a spectrum that instead of being black and white introvert, extrovert, there's actually this middle part of the spectrum and more than 80% of people are in the middle, which is an ambivert. Mm. And I think maybe we're both in the ambivert spectrum. And I was like, okay, this is so helpful. And I'm a recovering awkward person. So I'm very awkward. <laughs> I, I, I often fumble socially. And so I thought, okay, Ambivert is so helpful. So I began to try strategies socializing as an ambivert. Mm -hmm. And that article did extremely well, got picked up by the Daily Mail. And I realized, okay, I think I'm going to be a a researcher. I'm going to investigate and research human behavior. And who knew that would start this amazing, incredible career uh, researching people? Incredible. I mean, so there's, I mean, there's so many, it's so interesting. Like you're, 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 talked about how you're a recovering introvert and that would never come across in this conversation. And, and, the, and, and anybody goes, see, just wait, now, just, it's coming. <laughs> Awkwardness is coming. <laughs> so it gives, I suppose those who perhaps feel like they have um, social anxiety or awkwardness around people and, and places of things that there's hope because here you are and you engage with the world on a massive scale, talking to thousands of people and, and you're the author of incredible uh, literature and books and, and articles. So how, what were some incredible, some, e- I don't say easy steps. What are some tips yes. and steps? Because I know social anxiety is a big part. A lot of people have questions around when they heard you were coming on here to help people get break out of that social anxiety, especially coming out of the pandemic right now. I myself, I myself, and this may come to a shock. I have a social anxiety. I'm shocked because I also talk in front of people yet in smaller crowds. I find myself lost. My, my, my heart starts pumping before I start entering a crowd. So what are some ways that that can help me and some of those who are listening when it comes to social Oh my friend, you are so not alone. And for anyone who's listening and social anxiety is a very scary term. So I call it awkwardness. If you ever feel your heart pounding, feel nervous, feel like you put your foot in your mouth, don't know what to say, run out of things to say, don't stop talking, interrupt people, say the wrong thing. Those all (laughs) fall under the, those all fall under the bill of awkwardness and you are so not alone. So the very first thing that I found in the research and, you know, the, my, my company is called the science of people. Cause we really try to stick to the research as much as possible was that charisma is sort of defined one way culturally, but actually there are multiple flavors of charisma. And what I mean by this is when we think of charismatic people or popular people, let's use the, let's use that ugly word popular, right? Mm. Like the popular kids in school, we think of popular as the bubbly extrovert, and if for some reason, we all think of this one type of charismatic, super um, talkative, very bubbly, uh, the life of the party, great storyteller, comfortable in every social situation. That is charismatic, but that is only one type of charisma. What I have come to learn, which is extremely helpful for awkwardness, is that charisma comes in multiple flavors. Yes, there's the bubbly extrovert, but there's also the quiet, powerful introvert. There's also the compassionate, nurturing ambivert. There's also the um, deep question asking, um, journalistic 
charismatic introvert. There's all these different ways of being charismatic. And the key is not to pretend or fake being an extrovert to be charismatic. That's actually the worst way to be charismatic. And that's what I tried for many years. In college, I went to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. All I was doing was trying to fake it till I make it. I actually hate the phrase fake it till you make it. And the reason is because people sniff out fake, right? Like if you're trying to fake being an extrovert, one, it's exhausting. So you're just like depleted at the end of trying to fake it till you make it. And then two, people smell it out. There was a great study that was done by Dr. Barbara Wild. And what she wanted to know is do fake smiles work? Specifically, like if I show up to a networking event or a party or a meeting and I'm faking it till I make it, I'm trying to be an extrovert and I sm- I come with that fake smile on my face. Now, a fake smile is when you're smiling with your teeth, but it doesn't reach all the way up into these upper cheek muscles. Yeah. So right next to your eyes, a real smile actually engages the muscles on the sides of your upper cheeks all the way up there. So a yeah, fake it, smile. Yeah. I saw recently you- actually a, a meme where, where um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who plays, oh man, my, my friends, people listening in are going to go crazy about it. But uh, he plays American Psycho, English, uh-huh. uh, he was Batman. And he was saying uh-huh. he, got, he got that crazy like smile. He was inspired by Tom Cruise on the late night show because he was smiling, but there was nothing behind his eyes. Like he was just... Yeah. So anyways, I just want to yeah, that. That is, that is exactly it. So, so she was like, okay, does this work? Right. If, if I plaster a fake smile on my yeah. face and I try to fake be extrovert, does it work? So she took pictures of people neutral, of people smiling and of people fake smiling. Now, what's interesting is if you look at the pictures between real smiles and fake smiles, it's very hard to tell the difference. So consciously you're not like, oh, duh, that's a fake smile. It's very, very hard to see if those upper cheek muscles are engaged. Mm. People who looked at the real smiling pictures caught the happiness. In other words, on subsequent mood tests, they felt happier. People who saw the fake happiness felt nothing. It did not change their mood at all. So why this is important is because it gives us a reason to find our authentic selves. It gives us a reason to discover how am I naturally, beautifully, authentically charismatic if that's an extrovert, great. If it's not, that's even better. Because when you are authentic about your charisma, you become more contagious in a good way. You infect people with your happiness. So that's my entire mission on this planet is to help people find their authentic brand of charisma. That's amazing. And so, what a relief that there is not one standard in which someone has to be what was considered ca- charismatic or this is the way to be. So it's like, yeah, there's so many flavors and there's no two people who are the same. And I think for a while, I mean, especially for reading books, there's a certain checklist, you know, open yeah. with this or stand a certain way. And, and you and sort of, and you're saying like, no, like, you know, embody the things that come natural to you and, and just, you, you can work on that. And hone them, right? Uh, like, the, 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 the example I give right in the start of the book is like, if you are born and you are six foot five and over, it's likely that you're going to be approached to play basketball. And if you decide to play basketball, you're probably more likely to do better because you're closer to the basket. You can see about people's heads. If you're born under five, five, it's likely that you're not going to be approached to play, bas- to play basketball. Doesn't mean you can't, you can, but you're going to have to jump higher, work harder and run faster. So you'd be much better off picking a sport, be a jockey, right? Right. Pick a sport that actually matches with your natural strengths. It's the same socially. We're very okay as a culture talking about this in terms of athletics, even academics. You know, we say things like, oh, you know, she's very naturally talented at language or he's very naturally talented at math. Why don't we do this socially? 
right? If someone has a natural talent for speaking in front of a group or running a podcast, that's you. That's your natural social strength versus someone who's a natural club promoter. That's a social strength, right? Like that is a social strength that we should value just as much as, you know, one-to-one conversations, public speaking, podcasting, videos, Zoom calls, emailing, an expert writer. Like those are all just as important as our academic or our athletic skills. This is true. But what about someone who wants to, has an aspiration to be a public speaker, but yet they have fear of public speaking and you're saying, but no, if that's not calling to you, then stick in your lane. But no, I want to be a public speaker. What do you think of that person? Yeah. So that's called free trait theory. So free trait theory is that the study that our personality traits or our strengths are pretty wired. But if you have a goal in mind, you can dial up or strengthen your personality traits or, or, or hold them up. You're free to exercise traits as you wish. The quintessential example of this is Jackie Kennedy. It's used in all the research. And the reason for this is because Jackie Kennedy was a known introvert. She was very, very introverted, but she had certain goals and her husband had certain goals. And so she She learned how to be an ambivert and an extrovert in certain situations, and she's renowned for it, right? She ended up changing the way that at least American history and American culture. So yes, absolutely. You have free agency to to do that. The issue here is you need to be honest with yourself, right? If you know that you have extreme speech anxiety, okay, you got to get the right teachers, the right books, the right mentors. You got to hone that like a skill and that's good right? Like that's like a beautiful way of being. There are things that I have to do for my job that are not my social strengths, not even a little bit, but I've educated myself, taken classes, gotten mentors. And now I feel very empowered when I get to use that skill, even though it's not my natural skill, because I'm like, I learned this, like I mastered it. So it actually is a beautiful way to get a a really deep level of confidence. Incredible. So, so paint me a picture to go back to like some, maybe a social scene where many people will find themselves into, if not now, but as the world's opening up again, where are, and I know you've touched on this. So I found this to be fascinating, but you, you actually find that there's certain like hot zones that mm-hmm. in the room, where to stand, where to go. I know for myself, I get stuck right away in the beginning of the room. I come in, I see somebody, I start talking to them. And then the next person comes over to me and I literally don't enter the room. I don't. And the whole night goes, I'm like, wait, but I want to get to that person. So my question is, how do you work a room? Where's a good place to stand? And also what's a good and polite way to end the conversation. So you want to go to go to the next person that you want to talk to. For sure. So I was plagued by this question, how to work a room, right? Like what would happen is I'd walk into a party or a networking event or a holiday party. And I would just be like, where do I go? What do I do with my hands? And so we devised an experiment. We did this over the course of three different events with over 500 speed networkers. We set up cameras in each corner of the room. And I had my coders code body language, volume, as well as we tracked conversation starters. And what we found was, is that the people who entered the room and got Tracked in the entrance zone, the start zone is what I call it, never quite got out of the start zone. In fact, that's the worst place to stand. It's kind of, it's like a social trap. And the reason for this is because if you get, if, you, if you're in the start zone, people are not ready to deep talk with you. When you first arrive somewhere, you want to put down your coat, you want to go to the bathroom, you got to get a, a little appetizer, you got to get yourself a drink, like you got to say hi to the host. And so anyone you catch in the start zone, they're always going to break away from you before you can get deep because they're thinking of all the other things they have to do. They're the ones when they, they'll overhead gaze. Have you ever had that? Someone overhead yeah, gazes, of course, you, right? Of course, yes. So I, have, I avoid the start zone at all costs. Once you get into an event, put down your coat. Even if someone talks to you in the start zone, lead them over with you to the bar or the buffet. 
the best place to stand is right as people exit the bar. And when I, when I say bar, this could be an actual bar if you're in a restaurant or bar, but it also could be like the drink table, <laughs> you know, or like the water pitcher at the, at the front of the boardroom. And that is because what we found was, is that when you're in line, you're single goals. You're like, got to get my drink, got to get my water, got to get my coffee, got to get my tea. And then once you leave and you turn to face the room, you get this ping of anxiety. It's like, who do I know? Who do I, who am I going to talk to? Do I look, do I look like a loser? I'm standing here alone. Oh my God. Everyone's looking at me, right? Like you begin to have all these anxiety. If you're waiting right there, you become a social savior and you say, Hey, that drink looks great. Or, Hey, how's that crudite? And so it's a perfect place to make conversation and also save people. That's why I love that little sweet spot. Actually in the book, I draw like a little football kind of map to show the start zone, the end zone and the social zone, which was so fun. It was like such a fun research experiment. It's so fun. And that's, and that's so relatable. And, and what you're doing in that scenario, what you're sharing with is that you're, you're bringing value to the person who's turning around. And, and I found, I know you talked about this and, and so I'm echoing some of your words as well, where like, where, and it's helped me too. When I walk into social scenes and where my heart starts to pump and I start to think, what am I going to say? And usually what's happening is I'm trying to figure out what I could take away from the situation instead of what I could give to the mm-hmm. situation. I know that's something that you talk about as well. And I found that to be quite helpful, where it's mm-hmm. like not to become like less selfish and more selfless and see where I could be, be of service in the, yeah. in the conversation. I think that, you know, especially as we emerge from the pandemic and we begin to socialize again, First of all, this gives us a wonderful opportunity to reevaluate what fuels us socially. So we've had this year or longer than a year to be away. And what I would say is, as you add things back, be very purposeful about who you're adding back. You know, my husband and I, we sat down and we talked about the people in our lives and the kind of social events that we go to. And we asked ourselves, where can we go where we're giving, not taking, but we're giving, where we are feeling like it's a, it's a wonderful relationship that we want to keep for a long time. And there were certain people that we've decided to, to let go of that, that mm. aren't the right social relationships. There's also certain events that we've decided are no longer going to be in our social calendar. With that mentality, if you go in thinking, what can I give? What can I offer? I call it an offer mentality it fundamentally changes the way you interact. It becomes less tiring. It becomes more genuine. And you also will find that you grow and learn more. So my entire mission, a little game I play in my head is when I'm interacting, especially with new people, is all I'm thinking is how can I feature people's great stories? So my offer is I have a YouTube channel that gets you know, incredible reach to all kinds of interesting people. There are so many wonderful stories out there. All I want to do is feature people's amazing stories. And so when I'm going to parties or events or meetings, or I'm sitting next to someone on an airplane, all I'm thinking about is, can I offer a space to share their story? And the conversations have changed. They've completely changed. And so I think about what is it that you can offer to people as you're talking to them, even if it's just being like a a compassionate ear, that's an offer too. Right, right. Well, I'm, I'm curious to know, I want to sort of pivot to like your childhood, right? Because here you are, you're dedicating your life to, to, the, to dissecting and understanding human behavior. Um, and you did sort of like give a certain like a certain note was, was reached when you said popular. So I take it that perhaps middle school, high school wasn't necessarily oh. 
it was, it was a trip for you. And uh, was it from a very young age? Is that something you're combating, like from the, the person who you were to like who you want to become? And like and you're trying to figure out how, how, how to crack the code to human behavior because, well, yeah, how was your childhood like? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm completely scratching my own itch. <laughs> Right. Like yeah. um, there, there's a reason I'm obsessed with, I'll, I'll even frame it this way. I'm a little bit obsessed with the popular kids because I was always obsessed with the popular kids because I was never at their table, you know? Yeah. So like, as I can remember as young as kindergarten, I was fascinated by these kids who seemed to have effortless confidence. They walked into rooms and felt like they belonged. They were able to make friends and be totally, you know, not, um, uh, self-conscious. And I was always fascinated by them as a young person because I wasn't them, right? I was painfully awkward and painfully self-conscious. And I wish I could go back and tell myself, it's okay. Just be yourself, yeah. right? You, you, you're, you're good just as you are. And so I think that my goal is to tell other young people that message. Like I look back at high school and college, and I'm like, I should have just had more fun. Right? Like I should have just stopped overanalyzing and being critical of myself and just gone out there and tried to make the best relationships I possibly could and learned and laughed. And so I think that my whole goal is to give people tools. So they can move past that self-consciousness and actually meet people. So I, middle school and high school were painfully slow. They were, I literally mm. counted down the days until mm. I was free. I thought college would be better. And I loved Emory. Don't get me wrong. I, I grew up in Los Angeles and then went to Emory and I, I loved Emory academically, but socially it was very hard. I did not fit into the sorority life at all. Oh, okay. um, and so it never got easier. And so when I was 21 and sitting on graduation day going, why did I do this? I was like, I ha there has to be something better out there. There has to be a different way to do this. And so that was, I think, many, many years of awkwardness. And I use the word awkwardness as sort of a catch-all fuels me today to keep sharing the, the good work and try to encourage people to be themselves. Mm. That's, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Was it, was it something, did you have friends in high school and, they, or, and during that time you're like, wait a second, I still want to be friends with the popular kids. Is it, or was it like, there was no friends at all. Like, because if let's say a kid who's listening, watching is like, is it better? Is it necessarily better there? Is it better? Is that, the, is that the table to be at? Or is it to be gr grateful to be the table where you find yourself at? So I had friends in high school, but I wasn't a very good friend. And that's, you know, something that I feel guilty about, actually. Um, so I had friends in high school. I don't talk to them anymore. I had friends in elementary school. I don't talk to them anymore. Um, I didn't know how to maintain those friendships. I didn't know how to be a good friend. I was all, I was in a very much a scarcity mindset. Yeah. Um, and then by college, I was so afraid of the cool kids that I didn't even want to be around them. Like I would get hiccups around cool kids. So I avoided sorority and frat row, like the plague. Like if someone wanted to go that way, I was like, I'm going to go the other way. So I joined student council. I joined a bunch yeah. of student groups. And so actually by the time I was, you know, 16, 17, I was avoiding those kids because they made me so nervous. Um, and so that was my strategy. I think that the key for young people who are listening is spend time with people who fuel you. I don't actually think that the biggest danger to our happy, our social happiness are bullies. Bullies are, are horrible and they're toxic and they need to be dealt with. But actually what's more dangerous is ambivalence. 
friends who you're ambivalent about, or you wonder, do they really support me? Do I really like spending time with them? Do they really like me? Ambivalence is actually a much more toxic social drain than even toxic people. And so that's been my 20, well, now I'm in my 30s, but for my 20s, it was figuring out who do I truly love and who do I really care about and who truly loves and cares about me. That's all that matters. So it was going to a quality over quantity, as well as getting rid of the ambivalent people. If you're wondering if your friend really supports you, they are not your friend. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so it takes, it takes a lot of, you know, honesty to look at that because we would like to like think that, you know, we're, we're being liked and supported, but, and for someone who we feel like is close uh, to let that go and to let those friendships go or to start realizing, yeah, like, you know, who, who are really in my corner. It's uh, it's, it's tough, but it's, it's necessary if you want really to now is the time. Now is the time. Right now, like you're listening to this podcast or watching this video and like kudos, right? You're, you're here. Like right now, decide that you, the next, the, the next, for the next six months, your calendar, when you look at what you have coming up, you're only spending time with people you care about, like from this point on. And the pandemic did that for us. The pandemic cleared the way, right? We had to clear out a lot of things, start better, start fresh. Even if that means you're not hanging out with people, I think that's better to not hang out with, with mediocre or ambivalent people. I'd rather hang out with the right people. Yeah. Good call. Very good call. You do mention that uh, you're, you're the, the lead researcher at the uh, Human Behavior Research Lab. I'm mm-hmm. curious to know, do you have a favorite, and lab, I think of, you know, and you, you've mentioned you, you do uh, different studies and, and mm-hmm. research. About, what's, your, one's, one of, what's one of your favorite um, exercises or research? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Lab experiments. Lab experiments. Yeah. What's your, what's your favorite experiments that you, that you've, that you've uh, gone and what, what did you learn through that? So actually one we just finished, which we haven't even published the results yet. So it'll be uh, for for you new is I wondered in the pandemic, as we were doing all these video calls, if saying, I wish I could give you a hug or sending a high five, or here's a virtual handshake. I wondered if saying those things produced any kind of physiological response. And so I partnered with actually a a researcher, Dr. Paul Zak, who's a big researcher on oxytocin. And he developed a software that goes on your smartwatch. So what we did is I filmed um, a couple of statements that you usually start video calls with. So neutral ones like, um, hey, it's good to talk to you. And then oxytocin ones like, hey, wish we could hug, but sending a hug from here, right? So like ones that involved some kind of touch and ones that didn't, just saying it, not actually doing it. And uh, I wanted to know if it would change readings on a smartwatch. And sure enough, they absolutely did. So there was a, a huge increase in the statements that mentioned some kind of physical touch, even without the physical touch. And so now when I see people and I'm not touching them because we're still trying to be safe, I will literally say, I'm giving you an air hug. Yeah, And that is enough to produce a little bit of physiological response. And so I'm super jazzed by that research because it means you don't have to actually physically touch to be able to get a physiological response of trust and excitement. And so um, start all your video calls or your interactions with air hug, air hug, end them all on high five from here. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing that. It's so cool. I've been doing, I'm known as the high five guy. One of my first viral videos were high five in New Yorkers while we for cabs. And so I virtually high five when I do talks to like, and we're going to okay, high five. So at the end of all your podcasts, and we'll do it too, we got to say, okay, air high five. And we'll yes, have yes, 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 okay. 100%. We're going to do it. 
Totes, totes. Um, another thing, I mean, you have so many incredible titles and they're so interesting. And you even have a certificate in this. Um, is the, I'm curious, what is the process of graduation when it comes to body language? Apparently you have a certificate in like reading body language? Well, actually no longer, no longer. I don't think we have any, we don't have any active classes because we had to stop in the pandemic. Sure. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. But, but, but definitely, I mean, here I am, I'm sitting in front of you. Do you have to be in person? Are you, are you right now like reading my body language? Is this something you could turn off and turn on? And how has that helped you uh, in, in actual life? We're actually coming out with on the website, a huge body language guide. So um, that's a stay tuned because we have a, I, my next book, which I haven't even announced yet. And on the website, we have a bunch of body language stuff coming. So uh, that's the big guide. Part two, part two. So we have to have Vanessa, we have to back you on the podcast. Oh, I would love it. Yes. Yes. It's going to come out um, uh, March, 2022. And I'd love to be back and we can do a whole body language tutorial. Tremendous. All right. I'm very excited for that. I'm very excited for that. So to, um, to bring things all together, um, do, is there any last like thoughts you could share with uh, people who are listening when it comes to, um, engaging back in with the world or getting more comfortable with their own, being their own person, their own skin and, and engaging with the world once again? I would just say, be yourself, find your people. Hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. And to end off, this is the great day podcast. What is a great day for you, Vanessa? Hmm. Time with my daughter, time with my husband, research and writing to help people. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, today you helped a lot of people, including myself. I appreciate your time and thank you so much. Thanks so much, everyone. Oh, I just remembered who the Batman is. It's Christian Bale. That was the actor I was referring to. <laughs> Virtual high five. Virtual high five. Boom. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you so, so much for tuning into this podcast episode with Vanessa Van Edwards. I hope you gained some new insight and knowledge and tips on how to show up to your next social setting, how to show up to your next interaction with your fellow friend, family member, customer, client, uh, co-worker, all the works. Just, I hope you really have taken something away. And if you have, uh, please do share it with your friends and family as well. And your support for this podcast goes a long way. So if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Great Day Podcast. New episodes every Monday. And a big shout out to Vanessa Ben Edwards for showing up so powerfully and beautifully today. Thank you for sharing your insight, your wisdom, and your time with me and all of us today. So until next time, friends, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor Kay, and have a great day.